Hi, it's Zoe, and today's guest is rather special. His name is Rob Evans, and he is the CEO of AllBids, a local Canberra company here, which is a multi-million dollar online auction site. Rob has also done some really cool and interesting things. He's caddied on the pro golf tour. He's a bit of a golf buff, I have to say. He has taught cricket to street kids in India on a personal journey all across the continent there. And he is one of Canberra's most well-respected entrepreneurs, and I love his leadership journey. And it was such a privilege to interview him for the podcast and also to share his development over the last couple of years. So Rob's been a participant on a couple of my programs, the Leaders Edge Mastermind, and now with Amplifiers, honing his leadership skills. And I've noticed a real change in him and his business over these couple of years. And I wanted to capture some of the insights I thought might be useful for others who are doing the leadership thing themselves, too, and dealing with some of the people stuff and strategies that you need to contend with in the ups and downs of business. So here we go. Let's listen in to Rob Evans. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the call today, Rob. Rob, you are in a beautiful setting down at the South Coast. And what a perfect way to start off a Monday, which is when we're recording, and part of your new lifestyle by design and work by design. Um, so welcome to the podcast. A pleasure to be with you, Zoe. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's good. I'm going to be distracted by the beautiful trees and sunshine in the background. I'm trying not to envy you right now as I'm sitting down at the coast after a beautiful long weekend there. But I wanted to talk to you specifically about All Bids and your journey with All Bids. It's been a bit of a Canberra institution. It's been going for a while. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started All Bids and where it's ended up today? Yeah, sure. Look, <clears throat> it's very nice to be, be thought of as a bit of a Canberra institution. It has been a, a long time. <laughs> It wasn't that way to start with. So, um, you know, it's, um, I feel very proud that it is a bit of a Canberra institution and we've got a big database. We started back in 2001 and I say we, I was living in Sydney and I realised there was an opportunity for an auction house to do sort of end of lease IT equipment back in Canberra. I noticed that there wasn't a great service that was just sort of starting up in Sydney and I noticed that Canberra didn't have that kind of an auction house that could assist organisations and in particular government departments at the back end of their IT leases. And this is um, when IT equipment was being bought at a furious rate uh, in the early uh, 2000s and late 1990s. You know, the equipment was sort of three years old and just coming off lease and no one had really known what sort of value there was at the end of its lease. So a, a computer that was three years old and I knew that there was value. I'd seen what was happening in Sydney. So I saw the opportunity to, to come down to Canberra and I say, we is, I needed my brother to come in with me to just help me get through that initial period of actually buying a smaller business out. I thought that was definitely a much better opportunity then starting from afresh, I thought, firstly, we could take out a potential opposition. Secondly, we had the infrastructure already there. And I think one of the, one of the great learning aspects of, for me starting up was that I'd already had a couple of businesses in Sydney. I'd been a bit of a sole trader in the sports management area and I'd been doing a few little things here and there that hadn't quite worked out and I had never really got to be quite big enough to, to get over the hump and I think that's why a lot of businesses fail in that sort of initial 18-month period. And um, I'd always sort of had a backup, which was going back and working in auction houses. 
So this time I wanted to do it a little bit differently. I saw the opportunity to buy a small auction house in Canberra where an old gentleman had been running mainly office furniture sales for a few government departments, but he had the infrastructure. So he had a, a good lease on a, on a warehouse, so you know, really cheap, cheap warehouse. And he had a little bit of auction software and already a little bit of a following. And that's what I thought I needed. If I could just get that, I could really take it somewhere. So it was about a fifty dollars to $100,000 investment to start with. And um, I needed my brother to sort of come in and help me out. But it was a tumultuous time in Sydney, sort of 2000 and 2001 with 9-11. And my brother Morgan was working for ANSET. And so, you know, they all lost their jobs and it was, it was horrific. And we were very close living in Sydney together. And I said, look, I've got this opportunity down in Canberra. If you can invest in it the half that I can't afford, um, I can really get it going while, you know, you have a look at how we're going and you can come down and help out during the auctions and then make your mind up whether you wanted to come in. So so let me just capture this a little bit. So you had auctioneer skills in the first place? Yeah, I had auctioneer skills. I, I mean, I'm an accountant by trade, which is... which is really? I didn't know that. Yeah, so I mean, that, that transition came a little bit earlier, came back in the sort of mid-1990s where I'd been working... Using my accounting degree, I was actually working for the financial markets group of, uh, of Westpac, which was quite exciting, you know, but early start and, you know, going onto the dealing floor and, you know, the, the money was pretty good, but early start, 7.30 and then, you know, you finish with a drink at 5.30. Lifestyle wasn't great. You know, you're living in Sydney the whole time. I never got outdoors. It just wasn't me. And I'm, although the money was good, I couldn't see myself shuffling paper back and forth across dealing floors and and being a banker, so to speak. So I looked at other opportunities and I've alluded to before my, uh, I had a couple of cracks at small businesses. One of them was a sports management business and that was sort of using my accounting skills, but I, I, I had a small, small sports management business and looked after fairly, a, a few fairly high profile sports people. So uh, you're like managing, managing celebrities, sports people. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, it, that, all, wow. that all sort of started in the 1996 Olympic Games. I actually got a job um, while I was studying a, a graduate diploma in sports management. I got a job at the Australian Olympic Committee for a year. So I worked there for the year and um, really enjoyed it. And then I got picked up by a sports management company after that. And then I I worked for them for about a year and then I went out on my own for about a year. And whilst I was doing that, I actually, uh, I actually called an auction at a function. Function was for Jane Fleming, who's a you know, very famous Australian uh, gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist. And I called a, a charity auction. And whilst I, whilst I did that, there was a, an auction company there. He said, oh, I don't suppose you could come and call a couple of auctions for us. And I said, you know what, that's the first auction I've ever called. <laughs> and you know, we got chatting and, and I told them, you know, I've, actually an accountant I was doing a sports management sort of stuff and they said oh well look you know we might have a role for you and so I started working for combined auctions in 1997 and I continued with my auction skills and uh, and using my accounting skills and so that's sort of how the transition happened away from running my own smaller business into um, into the auction scenario okay and so you recruited your brother who just had a tumultuous devastation yes. and losing his work and his whole company collapsing yes uh, and then so you guys piled into canberra into this little venue which had a small following and you figured i can grow that audience i can have a crack at this what happened then absolutely and look the first year and a half was was fantastic it was uh we grew very very quickly 
I was pretty spot on on the on the fact that I'd seen some of the bigger companies offloading IT equipment in Sydney and what some of the companies were doing there to facilitate the back-end auctions. And I was right that the government had no really good supplier, local supplier to do that. So I approached government and said, look, at the back end of your leases with all your IT equipment, don't just trade it in because you'll get hardly anything for it. Let's do some IT auctions and specifically for your department. So, you know, I'd go to the Department of Health, um, ATO and these departments and say, look, you know, we'll, we'll do your IT auctions for you when you buy your new equipment. And of course, there were a lot of, um, there was a hell of a lot of equipment. They're big departments. And these auctions were sort of the first of their kind in Canberra back in the early 2000s. And we got a big following quite quickly because so many households wanted to have a computer at home and computers back then you might remember were two and a half three thousand dollars each so the computers coming off the back end of the lease were still five or six hundred dollars so it was a good buy for them and when we're doing uh, that in big quantities sort of three thousand pcs at a time or three thousand laptops at a time at, at five hundred dollars a pop it was good business really good business and it grew quickly we had thursday night auctions that would start at five thirty, and i'd stand up on a um on a table in the middle of a warehouse in, in Waluna Street in Fishwick, next door to where we are now, and just built out the auctions, you know, one computer after another, or if they were lower spec, we'd do 10 at a time, and the, there was a dealer network who would come and buy from us, and we got a, a good following very quickly. And so it was very much based on IT auctions for the first year and a half, and uh, it went really, really well. And, you know, then we had a few growing pains of how to, how to convert that business into a, a bigger business. So we were still quite a small business. So that was our first growing pain. How did you solve it? Um, well, just good recruitment, really. That was the, and that was sort of something I'd never really done before. But we realised we needed we needed some good, smart young people who knew how to deal with IT equipment, but also knew how to build a website, which was obviously going to become more and more important. It was important enough in the first place to have all your information about your auctions and put your catalogues out. But then obviously watching the growth of eBay, I'd been watching that for, for five or six years, we realised that we wanted to do our own online auctions. So our recruitment policy was to uh, try and get some, some young guys straight out of CIT or Canberra University who had great skill sets in building websites. So we recruited two or three and we built our own website and that's sort of the the very start of, of all bids, really, the, the online auctions start of it was, was buying a little bit of software and then just building onto it. And we, we built it up and, um, you know, it was very much a family business still, apart from a couple of the young IT guys, you know, it was myself and my brother. Um, and I had mum and dad taking money on the weekends when the auctions were and helping us out during the weeks. But that initial building of the website was the first way to make to scale the business into the next phase. And we did pretty well with building that in 03, 04, and I think 05, the, the online auctions started to really take off. And by about 2006, 07, hardly doing any live auctions at all, was the online side of it was just so convenient and the best way to do it. And so fast forward a few more years after that, and when I met you, you were not so excited. You were like grumpy yeah. old man yeah, about the work and you wanted to throw it all in. So what happened there? I guess fast forward 10 years and it's, um, you know, we, we kept building the building the business up and, and having a few peaks and troughs. And I think, you know, you probably get to a stage where you're 10 to 15 years into a business where you, you probably are a little bit burnt out. And I'd, 
I'd have thought, gee, I've done well here. I've built a good business. We do have a good following. We're not that profitable, but we've got a big database. And I remember saying to you, I think the database is worth quite a lot. And a few companies have expressed interest. I thought, you know, there'd been time to sell. And I, and I had alluded that to the staff. I said, look, I'm going to burn out. It's time to go. If we find a good buyer, we'll go. And of course, that was the wrong way to go about it. Um, you know, the business wasn't, you know, it got to a stage where, you know, we were, we were spending everything we were making just to, to keep us going. We're, we had those growing pains where we got to a stage where it wasn't profitable. It had a big database and it was plodding along and I was tired. So it was a difficult period, you know, four or five years ago and um, it needed a, a whole change of attitude. I had sold a small chunk of the business off when we first spoke to a Singaporean um, investment capital company and, um, you know, they bought almost 20% of the business and they're pushing us to really, really grow our top line. So getting employees up to 30-odd employees and selling a hell of a lot more but not necessarily making a lot more money. So we were becoming bigger, bigger but more cumbersome and, and just not profitable and I just couldn't. I wasn't in a good way and I couldn't see... I couldn't see that they were going to find a seller when the profit side of it wasn't there. So we needed a big change at that stage. So what was, I mean, you made a lot of changes. What was the first change that you did make to help change this? I mean, first of all, I like this challenge that a lot of businesses face, but it's great to have great revenue, but revenue is vanity when profit is sanity. So yeah, all this big stuff, but barely breaking even it's, um, Vanity metrics can be deceiving, that's for sure. So you get to reach this sort of threshold point where it's like, it's big and it's got a big database. It looks good from the outside, but inside it's bleh. What was the first thing you did to start shifting things? So you mentioned a change of attitude. Um, was it a change of attitude or was there something else that you did that helped change yeah, it? Yeah, well, there are two, two things that happened initially and they were from our first few catch-ups where putting things into perspective and... The first thing was I had to take control back over the entire company and do what I wanted to do and really back myself to make the decisions and take complete control of it. So buying back the shares off the, uh, the venture capitalists, the Singaporeans, that was important. But that change in attitude part of that was also to ensure that I said to the staff, hey, I've decided we're not selling the business anymore. In fact, we're going to own it all again. So we're not going to have, I won't be in Sydney having meetings every week. I'll be getting it all back and it's all about us now. And it's just, I don't want to sell anymore. I want to build this business into something that's a, that we've got complete control of, that we do what we want to do. And I want everyone to be happy and how we're all going to be happy and, and all work together in a business that we're not selling. We're staying here. We're here, here to stay. That meant a few staff changes as well, uh, probably 15 of us. I had a, a shareholder that I had to buy out and then 15 other sort of staff members had to sort of slowly be cut in a considered way. So we had to stop doing a lot of the business that we were doing in Sydney and Melbourne as drop shippers and just concentrate on our local market and making sure we did that very, very well. And that was that were the sort of big shifts that we did. And we, you, know, you, you mentioned we did do it pretty quickly. It was over... A, a six to 12 month period that we, we pretty much did all of that. We went from 34, I think, to 18 staff. We bought all the shares back ourselves so that I own you know, predominantly 80% of the business. Um, and the other shareholders are my brother and uh, Dandy, our IT director, which makes it 
a great business. We're all in it together. And our staff all know that, you know, we're not selling. We're, we're just trying to make it better in our local sense. And all our staff are empowered to make decisions. And it was just a, a big change over a, a six to 12 month period that's really paid dividends now. So let's go back to the first point where you announced the staff, we're going to sell. Uh, what was yeah. the impact on the staff morale and interactions after you announced that? Or did they just take it on the chin or was it negative? Or Yeah, I think that the idea of selling was probably there for two or three years, you know, and I think that was a real, a really bad thing. I think they knew that the reason why we got the company from Sydney with a, a bit of Asian capital in there was that they were there to build us up into a really big business to sell us off to to an even bigger one. And I think that was probably a bad feeling for everybody. And I didn't really realise it. I mean, to me, it sounded like a good idea and they dangled big numbers in front of us. So we're going to increase your turnover to X and we're going to do this. And then you're going to be able to walk away in five or six years time with with a big lump sum. And I thought, oh, you know what, that's just what I need at the moment. I'm, I'm a bit jaded I need to to walk away and I'd like to take something big away and I think that the staff knowing that I I don't think there was any one point where I I saw them lose morale I think they sort of came to the journey and went oh well if we if we're becoming a bigger company that's a good thing over a two or three year period where we were building up that top level line and it was all about increasing the revenue making us look really big and we even bought you know, some smaller websites out. So we even bought all classifieds, which actually looked like a big buy at the time. I don't think the staff morale was too bad, but I also thought they had at the back of their mind, oh, there'll be one day we're going to be bought by a big multinational and who knows what's going to happen then. So let's just get through the day. I feel like that's what they were doing rather than loving the business like we do now. So it's, a, it's been a big shift since we made those decisions and, and made and made the big changes over that 12-month period. Yeah, it's pretty big changes. I mean, you come back and say, right, we're not selling, we're buying back everything. It's like totally different direction. And um, I want everybody to be happy <laughs> as yeah. a direction. And then you got rid of like a whole bunch of people. So 16 people went. Um, what was that yeah. like for the staff during that transition? Because staff layoffs can be traumatizing. Was What happened with your yeah. people on the ground? Yeah, very traumatising. I mean, it was fairly considered the way it was done. Um, and it was kind of obvious when we took away a lot of the drop shipping, which was selling for the companies in Sydney and Melbourne, which was really increasing our, our top line, that the people involved in that part of the business were going to, to slowly um, move away. So the people still in the core kind of knew what was going on. So it wasn't as traumatising as it, as it might be, but it was still... It was something that had to be done quickly, with so not to bleed money. But it was done in a really considered way, I think. Um, I think the, the two most difficult ones were buying out a, one of the business partners who was in there at 20% and then buying out the Singaporeans at 20%. They were, they were difficult conversations, but they were things where you just had to... There was a deal to be done. It was always going to be difficult. You had to be tough in the negotiation and then you had to execute it and move on. And... For reasons that um, only a, a business owner might know, when the going gets tough, you've just got to get stuck in and get through those tough periods. And you know that they're only temporary. And I did. I just got stuck in. In fact, I, I did. I made those bigger decisions sometimes more easily than I made the smaller decisions. I knew what I had to do 
and I just followed through and I made sure we got through it with the, with the whole goal at the end of it was to make the rest of the company that is left like a small family of, of sort of 18 to 20 of us a lot happier and that's what we've done. I'm just curious about why those bio conversations were, why did you find them difficult? Like, did you feel like you were disappointing people or is it just that you had to go into a negotiation? Yeah, no, they were difficult. I mean, they, these were, these were, so the, the two parties that we sort of brought back out were people that wanted to be there for the long haul, but they weren't adding the value and they weren't helping us get to the stage where we are now, which is a terrific stage where we're a, a really strong, profitable business with happy staff that it doesn't matter if we sell or not now because we're, we're all happy. We're, we're on a really, you know, good profit curve. And um, the people that we had to buy out, you know, they wanted to stay in there, but they weren't adding the value to that, to that point. So it was a difficult period to, to negotiate them out and, and say, look, you know, we're going in a different direction. So, you know, but I guess, you know, both of those periods probably only lasted um, a month or two each that they had to be done and um, we just got on and, and did it. Okay. So then you moved to, like you say, you got your little family unit of 18 people and you focused a lot on culture. What kinds of things did you do to help build the culture up again? Absolutely. The, one, of the, one of the first things we did, and this came from one of the sessions we did, Zoe, and I know we've done a number of sessions, so I can't remember exactly which one I, I picked this out, there was one that really resonated with me was to, to make the environment better. And we just redid the, the front of the building and painted and just made it, you know, put plants in and just did a few things just to make it a much nicer place to work. And it's not easy when you've got warehousing and you've got a lot of items coming in and out to make it a really easy place to, and, a, and a nice place to work. But we just... We just improved the look and feel for the staff. That was one thing. We invested more in technology to make people's jobs easier and just we, we told them, you know, what, and, and we engaged in our staff. Um, that was probably one of the main things. All of our staff, we, you know, we sat down with and spoke about this is where we want to go and what do you need to do to do your job? What would make your job easier and, and more fun to do. We got some good feedback. So we've had a, a lot of staff ideas that we've then implemented. And just small things that, because you don't have those conversations, you overlook. Just small things that make our staff happier, have, that, that they've implemented themselves and that they know that they're part of the journey. All of those cultural things have made a, a big difference. And um, that really got us on our way. Can you give me an example of one of the small things that they suggested that and got implemented? Yeah, small things are the use of um, better communications tools just to communicate between, we've got sort of two warehouses that could be a little bit disjointed and just having a, an intercom system between the two warehouses stops someone having to walk all the way up one end and come back and relay a message by pressing a button and just having a chat to people at the other end of the warehouse, this is what we need at the moment, this is how we're going or how are you guys going here, just such a simple little thing just made life so much easier. And it was one of those things I didn't, you know, we didn't really see it until we went out to the staff and said, what can we, what can we do that would make your job easier? And just the fact that we'd started interacting with them and it was their idea and we implemented it, those sort of things, just small things like that. And that's probably an example of 10 or 15 small changes that we made that the staff had um, direct impact in. Yeah, that's amazing. And 
it's such a credit to you to actually go A, to ask your staff and then B, to implement what they suggest. <laughs> because those two things are different. And to do both of them is, is really good. I think where a lot of people go wrong with their culture surveys is they get all these ideas and they don't close the loop. They don't go back to the, the people who completed them and say, this is what we've heard and this is what we're, we're going to do and this is what we're not going to do. And so people get even more dated as a result of that. But you guys closed the loop and actually implemented, which has clearly had a huge impact. So over the last couple of years, you and I have worked together in a couple of different programs on leadership. What do you think has have been your biggest leadership insights so far in the last couple of years? There's been quite a few good insights. I think the greatest one's probably been the results mapping. That was one thing that I had been nagging away at me for quite a while was, you know, going back to the business plans. And I think it's um, a common story with business owners that, you know, you go, you, you write your business plan and you look at your business plan and put it away in your drawer for another year and go back to it. And I was never comfortable with a business plan because of the changes that were, were constantly happening in strategy. But the one thing that doesn't change was the results that we wanted and doing the results mapping in such a a great way that um, I know it came from Stacey Barr's book, I think, was, was just... Right. It just simplified everything. And the thing that really resonated well in my business was putting, not using that uh, fluffy language and long sentences about trying to implement a strategy that would create a profitable outcome, you know, all those really, really fluffy languages that you hear in. <laughs> she calls them weasel words. Yeah, the weasel words. That's right. We, I, remember, I remember sitting down and saying, let's not have any weasel words in there. And I mean, it, it, at the centre of our our universe at Allbids is that everybody loves to buy and sell at Allbids. Now, if that's right in the middle of our, our universe, that's the result that we want. Then the next level out, like the higher management decisions, uh, that you know we want to create a, an environment that helps everybody to love buying and selling at Allbids. And as we go further out into the, the smaller parts of the business, it still comes back to you've got to produce a result that helps us get into the middle there, which is for everybody to love buying and selling at Allbids. And we use really simple language and it's something that we've put on the on the desk of everybody and, and at everybody's workstation and it's something that I have in front of me all the time and I look at and going, okay, that section there is doing that well, that section there is doing it well. And by even doing the results mapping and, and having a look at some of the numbers in, in our profit and loss as well, we, we broke our business into just three distinct areas and our admin team. And so obviously I'm part of that admin team, but we broke it into three distinct areas being antiques as one area general auctions is one area and motor cars is the other and just breaking it into three very very simple business units has also really helped but that all came about from the results mapping and that process we did it over a two or three week period a couple of hours every day and kept coming back going oh we're stuck on this section let's come back to it and it's amazing if you give it a, overnight you'd come back and go oh, i think this should be this very very simple sentence here and um yeah that results mapping has been been really really good and as part of that, changing the way we look at our reports into those three sections has really, really helped us. And we, we look at it every night now. We look at the results from, from each section of our auctions every single night and know exactly where we are. So to, that's a good feeling to, to know where you are in the business at every time. That's amazing. And I will put a link in the show notes to Stacey Barr's work, especially around results mapping, which is all about how to put on one page, how the results in your business cascade and intersect in different areas of the business to produce, as you said, at the center of the universe, at the center of the results map, your key objective for the organization. Absolutely. The more, the more simple they are, the better, I think. I mean, it's one of those cases of, um, of less is better. 
Yeah, because it can get pretty messy. If you mapped every single little process yeah, yeah. in your business, it would look like a bowl of spaghetti. So you it doesn't need to be that granular. That's exactly right. Even some of the results maps that we started with and we were looking at, there were too many lines intersecting different parts of the business. And we said, let's just keep it really, really simple. And the more we kept the weasel words out and the more we kept it simple, the better the results made for us. Well, Stacey, you'll be thrilled. <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait to share this story with her. Uh, That's good. awesome. All right. So now you've also started another big initiative. Is it the Fishwick Business Association? Is that the name of the organization you started? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's been a uh, that's been an interesting one. And as a result of having Albridge in such a good place, I've been able to set the Fishwick Business Association up, which was essential for us to do. We, you know, we looked at you know protecting our our business in a way, but we realised that there were so many other businesses that were were right behind it, and. Um, no one else really putting their hand up to set this business association up. So, um, you know, I was in a really good position with all bids that, um, yeah, I've taken the initiative on and um, we've got a, a groundswell of support. And as a consequence, I think we've got sort of 70 to 100 businesses and it's just very, very early stages who are, um, who are behind us. And there's another thousand businesses in Fishwick who we haven't even gone out to do a launch yet, which we'll be doing next month, which um, I'm hoping will will join our business association because it's such an iconic place to do business in Canberra and it's something that is very much needed at the moment with a couple of um, developments and the way Canberra's being planned at the moment, which is a little bit ad hoc without trying to criticise our government as much as I already already have. <laughs> so the idea behind the Fishwick Business Association was to get together with other businesses in the region and to give feedback to government around uh, around planning for the area. Is that the idea behind it? Yeah, that's a major part of it. Yeah. So the advocacy is probably the major driver to, to starting it. But, you know, having having the, an issue that we all need to advocate to the government on has spurred on the, the fact that, you know, isn't it great that we can collaborate as businesses and do more businesses to business with uh, with ourselves and make our business district even stronger? And, and then sharing of information. I mean, there's nowhere that we can all share information so we know about what each other's doing. So really it's, um, you know, it's collaborating, it's advocacy and it's a, um, a sharing of information to help each other out. So it's creating a bit of a sense of community that we knew that Fishwick already had, but putting it into something a little bit more tangible, like a really sort of a funky website and uh, enabling us to catch up every month together is the idea of it. And um, it's getting momentum very quickly, which I'm very proud of. You should be proud of that because this is a volunteer role. Like this is, you have a stake in the success of this thing, you know, but it's kind of one step removed or two steps removed from your actual day-to-day -day source of income, your business. What have you learned as a leader in, it's a different style of leadership, different focus of leadership to lead a community of peers as opposed to leading a business. What do you found are the differences and the similarities there? Yeah, look, it is it is difficult. I think one of the things um, I found is that I've needed to get volunteers, and I've had to make it very clear. Look, you know, we're we're a non for profit organisation, the business association, and so we need people to volunteer. And it's part of what I've really been focusing on with the heavy lifting to get this going. I knew someone had to do that. I was prepared to do that. But from here, the leadership is about informing people the vision that we've got, which is making sure our business district is better in the long term. And to do that, we need everybody to chip in. 
it can't be left to just a few people to volunteer to, to make all these events happen and to advocate for business. We need everybody to just chip in. And if we've got a few hundred businesses that can all bring ideas to the table and we can all lift the weights to put a bit of pressure on government to try and get better results for Fish Week. And it's something that other, other business districts have done. So I guess it's more about banding business leaders and business owners in the area together and, and keeping them informed. I think that's my role is to say, look, you know, it's not just about me, it's about all of you and you've all got to chip in. So um, a little bit different, but a few challenges there. But if you get the messaging right, um, people are coming on board, which is, which is pleasing. So getting the messaging right has been a critical part in the influence process here. Because, yeah, I mean, with peer business owners, they don't have to do anything, right? They're not compelled to do so. You're, you've got to influence and persuade them. What have you found has worked with your messaging? Um, I, I suppose one of, one of the first things we've sort of said is, look, we'll go with the consensus here. If the majority of businesses believe that the current development applications, for example, to put in waste facilities into Fishwick, if, if the majority of businesses go down that path, then you know, that's the path we should go down. I think it should be on a consensus basis. But we've sort of said to them, what are your thoughts on these new developments that are coming through? We would like your feedback. And we've had a huge amount of feedback to say, well, look, you know, we need to, we need to advocate against this. And yes, we do want Fishwick to be a more gentrified, mixed industrial, mixed retail business district. That is the path that we want to go, so we are now behind you. But I think the, the messaging was there, we want to get your feedback, and if the feedback and the consensus is that we should be advocating against this sort of thing, then that's the way we go. So really it's about talking to everyone about what consensus and that we're a team, that we're all in it together. Which is interesting because that's the same sort of approach you took with your staff uh, when you decided to do a pivot which is like, we're all in this together. What do you guys think? And it seems to me that this is a very successful communication influence strategy rather than think, this is where we need to go. I'm going to convince you. You say, yes. this is an idea. What do you think? And that makes it, people get more buy-in that way, I'm guessing. They do get more buy-in. And it, it is about businesses being happy doing, doing business in Fishwick. And we know that a lot of them are unhappy with, um, with some of the recent developments that might be coming in. But uh, we said, look, we want you to all be happy. Let's all get together and, um, and work out what the consensus is. And, you know, we were lucky in Fishwick that we are gentrifying and becoming a great business area because the first public meeting we had, we were able to have it at the new brewery. And if you can't get a, a bunch of businesses together to have a beer at a brewery <laughs> in your business district, you could be in trouble. But we, we did that and that was, uh, it was great to see the businesses coming together and saying, hey, look, you know, we're all behind you. Let's do something. So we'll... We'll, we'll have a launch next month as a result of that initial meeting. I love it. <laughs> if you can't organize a get-together in a brewery for a bunch of business owners, you don't have any right being a leader. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, yeah, it was pretty easy to do. And the next meeting, um, unsurprisingly, that's at the brewery as well. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. So one last question. Leadership is all about being involved with, with people. What do you find easy about the people stuff and what do you find difficult? Um, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, it's like anything, every, everything's always pretty easy when everybody's happy. Uh, <laughs> you know, when, when things are going really well, I mean, I do find the, the sharing of good news easy. That is always easy and 
and celebrating a win. I've always found that pretty easy. I enjoy that part of it. Difficult parts are the personal parts that you, you can't overlook. Um, the personal parts that you've got to remember all your staff and, and other businesses, they've all got personal stories in there. And family, I've always said to my staff, family's more important than business. So if you've got a family issue, just let me know and you need some time off. And it's amazing. If you put 20 people together, you're always going to have an issue, one issue at one time. There's always, there's always something quite a personal issue that's affecting somebody. And they're, I always find them difficult. I always, um, I think that people need time to go and sort things out. You know, there's often some sad things and difficult things that happen. We've had some really, um, we've had some very upsetting things happen for members of our staff over the, the past five or six years. And they're difficult. They're the difficult things are dealing with people's own lives and, and feelings and, and issues. Mm. And how do you find yourself working your way through that? Like, what would be your tips to other business leaders in handling that stuff? Yeah, that's a. It's a tough question. I mean, it goes back to something we were talking about a while ago. When, when things are tough, as a business leader, you just roll your sleeves up and you, you get on with it and do it. And it almost, becomes, it almost becomes natural. When there is something sort of tumultuous going on, there is no hiding from it. You tackle it. You tackle it front on and you just get on and do it. And I think, I think that part of it's almost a natural reaction that you just you, you've either got that part or you don't. And I think that's, um, you know, that, that mightn't be very helpful. Obviously organizing your, your business with great culture and so forth around that probably frees your time up for when there is an issue as a leader, that's when you've got to roll your sleeves up and get into it. So I hope that helps, but um, that's how I feel it is. I feel like sometimes when there's a, a major issue or a, you know, a bit of an emergency that it just becomes natural to me. It's like, that is my job now is to take control of this situation and and just get on with it. And it, it just feels natural to take control when when the business needs you. Well, that is good advice. It's not always natural for people. And I think it's a good one to get uh, upfront and clear with when it comes to the people stuff, is to actually just dive in and deal with it and don't put it to the side because that is the stuff that's most important. And if you handle that stuff, you can get through. I think, I think you put it more succinctly than I did is it... <laughs> Don't push it to the side. Deal with it, especially personal issues, um, because they're gonna they're gonna manifest into into other issues. So yeah, not putting it to the side is the way to do it. Rob, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to hear your story and the ins and outs and ups and downs of it all. And a full credit to you for creating a business, bringing it through all of its iterations and to helping it thrive in the business community in Canberra, and now being a steward for the business community out in Fishwick. Huge admiration for you, and thank you so much for sharing it all. Thanks, Zoe. It's an absolute pleasure. And I must say that uh, coming on board with you and, and having you there as somebody to bounce ideas off, but not only bounce ideas off, for someone who's fed me a whole heap of information and not forced it onto me and allowed me to pick the pieces that I needed to get to this stage has been a great help. You really have been a great help and um, owe a lot to your leadership and your leadership skills and showing me the way. <laughs> That's very kind. I didn't expect the infomercial, but I appreciate it anyway. That's uh, uh, true. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Hey, it's Zoe again. And I love Rob's philosophy of we're all in this together. And you can see it's had a massive impact on his business and into the business community in Fishwick in particular. Good on you, Rob. And if you want to be more of a leader like Rob, 
you know what? Join us. I've got a number of different events coming up that you could participate in. Just go to my website, zoerouth.com, click on where it says events, and you can see them all listed there. And if you're keen to really get in and to really expand how you do leadership, particularly in the people stuff, join us in the Amplifiers program that Rob is also part of. All the intel is right here in the show notes. You can just click and have a look now. All right. In the meantime, awesome. Live well, lead well.